0: We are starting a new series today about Christmas and the title of it is Not So Silent Night. Um, I love Christmas, I don't know about you guys, I love the lights, I I really could be uh, an advocate for leaving Christmas lights up, you know, all year round, because I think it just makes everything look that much more beautiful at night, and I I love it, I love, there's all kinds of traditions and memories I have, and and many of you, if you've been around a little bit, you've heard one of my favorite Christmas traditions, but I have to share it because I want to see it grow to other families, it's it's vital and it's important. Um, Every year when we got together with my grandma on my dad's side of the family, we have a big extended family. He was one of five kids and then all they, you know, they all had kids and he got all the grandkids and even great-grandkids and we would all get together in her, her uh, you know, modest but beautiful little house and we'd all pile in the living room and we were just filling it up and we would sit there and we'd open up our gifts and early on, uh, before the family got really big, there was all kinds of presents, right? All the kids would get multiple, multiple gifts, but then, of course, when all these grandkids come along, you know, I don't get that many gifts, but anyway, we'll talk about that another time. But So I'm a little bit bitter about that, looking at you, teenager. Yeah, all right. So anyway, kids get spoiled. I, I suffer. But anyway, uh, we would open our gifts, and one of the things that we would do is we would take that wrapping paper and we were silently just like pulling it to ourselves and then the worst part was for a long time we had this tradition where you go around and you show every gift you got and you tell who gave it to you which for a kid like you don't that rapper might be in texas by the time you get done unwrapping that present because you're just like i mean just tearing into it and so you got to show everybody so you're it's just killing you but as soon as the last gift was explained everybody grabs some of that paper they ball it up and then they just start world war three with wrapping paper balls and it is the best thing in the world and my grand grandma. Grandma, I mean, she participated in it, you know, 70s, 80s. She lived to be almost 95 years old, and she participated in it. And she was not off limits. You could hit her in the ear if you wanted to. But just know this, Grandma's coming back at you, and Grandma will snipe you in a heartbeat. I mean infants toddlers nobody's off limits you got to grow up sometime right and so I mean it's just all-out war and my favorite thing and and this is a pro tip for you guys if you ever start to do this with your family and we still do it with my family even though that big family get-together doesn't happen but if you ever get any of that almost like aluminum foil wrapping paper that is a weapon of mass destruction I'm telling you what I mean you'll put somebody back in third grade for a little bit I mean they'll be stunned if you get them in the right spot but we, <laughs> we had a blast doing that, and I know we're demented and twisted. You've got a little bit more insight into my life, but the thing is this. I love Christmas. I love traditions. I love all these different things, and you do too, but if we're being honest and we're being open and we're being real, we're probably a little bit nervous about this Christmas, aren't we? Because we just experienced Thanksgiving, and it was a little bit different for many of us. You know, even if yours wasn't vastly different, I'm sure there were some differences. You know, weren't as many big family get-togethers and that sort of things, and maybe things went different when you got together. And so there's a, a struggle, and maybe you're a little bit worried, maybe a little bit concerned about what was, what's going to happen this Christmas. And then on the opposite side of the coin, for some people, Christmas is downright depressing. If we're just being honest... You know, there's some people that don't have a lot of family or maybe they just lost a loved one. But for whatever reason, they're discouraged and they're down at this time. They might be lonely. They might be, well, everybody else has got family around. They're, they're sad. They don't have anybody they feel like they can count on. And so Christmas isn't always exactly the way we think. And one of my favorite Christmas songs is one called Silent Night. You guys like that one? I, I love Silent Night. But if you think about the the reality of how that first Christmas was, and if you think about the reality of how many times our Christmases are, they're not so silent, are they? You know, we sing this song and it talks about, you know, this little baby, um, you know, uh, on a way in a manger, no crying he makes. And, you know, all is calm and all was all that kind of stuff. I've seen babies born. It's not silent nor calm. I mean, there's screaming and crying involved, and that's just my part that I do, you know. Uh, not to mention you know, the babies and maybe even mom, you know. I mean, it's not a necessarily it's a beautiful moment, but not a pretty sight. I'll just be real, okay? If, if if anything, I'm real. But it is it's a crazy time, and you can imagine this couple was traveling across, you know, this this rough terrain by themselves. They get to this place and they find out that you know they've got to be in a, a stable, and, and their baby's going to lay in a manger and that's where the baby's going to come into this world it probably wasn't all that silent of a night and you know what that gives me a little bit of hope it gives me a little bit of hope because maybe sometimes I don't feel so silent and peaceful on the inside at Christmas or any time it's good to know that the very first Christmas when Jesus came to be born to be our Savior it probably wasn't all that silent It was probably chaotic and Jesus came into the chaos to give us peace even in times of chaos. And and so that's what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. And today we're going to look at a story and it reminds us of how God always shows up even in the chaos, even in the pain, even in the doubt, even in the fear, God shows up at just the right time. And we're going to look at some of the relatives of Mary and little soon-to-be Jesus that's going to come into the scene a little bit after these, this couple's story. And their story is important because, honestly, I bet you and I, I bet we've prayed for things that we thought, we're just not getting the answer. Have you ever felt like maybe when you're praying, it's like your words are just hitting the ceiling? I know maybe we're not supposed to be that raw and that real and, and say that we have doubts and we have wonders and we have even anger sometimes. But if you're breathing, you probably experienced that emotion when you prayed and you haven't seen the answer that you wanted when you wanted it. You know, but this couple, they experienced that. And this couple specifically had a prayer that maybe some of you have prayed to. They sat there, maybe with an empty nursery in their home praying for a baby and that baby never seemed to come they've waited and they've wondered and maybe you've done the same thing you've waited with an empty nursery you've wondered if your work would ever be recognized and you'd receive the promotion or you'd receive the respect you've prayed and you've prayed maybe for a friend to come to Jesus but you wonder if they're ever going to come to Christ And even though it's a little bit unnerving to be this honest, but maybe it's a little bit comforting to know that you're not the first person to pray and wonder if anybody's listening to your prayers. Maybe it's not cool for me as a preacher to say that I've wondered the same thing at times. If God's listening or maybe I didn't say it right, but I'm just being honest and I'm just being real about it. There's been times that I've wondered, God, I'm praying and help me to pray the right prayer and I don't know what to do. And this couple was in the same boat and we find them in Luke chapter one, Luke chapter one, beginning in verse five, we find this couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. And it says there in verse five, in the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. This couple, they were good, faithful people who really loved God and tried their best to do what God said. They were good, faithful people. And it says that they obeyed all of God's commands. I don't believe that they were sinless. I believe Jesus is the only one to be sinless. But when they did commit a sin, they followed the Old Testament law to make up for it. And they offered the right sacrifice. But these were good people. These were people you want to be your neighbors, right? These are your role models that you and I would want to be like. And look at verse 7. But, that three-letter word is pretty powerful, isn't it? But, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Man, isn't that how you like to be remembered in Scripture? They are old, (laughs) you know? That's the way we feel sometimes. But they were both old and they had not had children in their old age. And so they find themselves without children And I mean, we've got to be honest, we know that a lot of families struggle with that right here and right now. And there's a lot of people that feel that pain and that ache of emptiness, of wanting a child, having everything ready, thinking, okay, we've got all we need, we just need a child to to fill this place in our life. And they feel that pain and that ache and that emptiness, and Zechariah and Elizabeth were no different. If you're going through that pain, they understood what it was like. They were good, godly people. And especially in that time, a lot of people probably wondered silently, or maybe sometimes they were even bold enough to say it out loud you know, what have you guys done wrong in your past that means you can't have children? And we know that that's not the way God operates, but people have asked that question for millennia. And the sad fact is that some of you might even be asking that same question God, God, what have I done wrong that I can't have the answer to my prayer? Maybe you're wondering yourself if you're being punished by your unanswered prayer, whether it's for a baby, a job, direction, or wisdom, or you fill in the blank with what's on your heart. But one of the things I know from this passage of Scripture, and I know from the entirety of Scripture, is this, even faithful people suffer in a broken world. Sometimes, especially faithful people suffer in a broken world. And that is hard for us to understand. That's hard for us to stomach. And it's hard for us to wrap our minds around. But even faithful people suffer in a broken world because this world has fallen. It's broken. Sin has destroyed it and corrupted it in so many ways. We weren't meant to experience death. We weren't meant to experience heartache But because of the sin of Adam and Eve. And then ultimately every single one of us have sinned since our hearts and our lives are broken. And there's sickness and there's death and there's worry and there's fear. And there's so many things that leave us hurting but I hope that somehow maybe you can draw some encouragement from that, that it doesn't mean that you're being punished because your prayers aren't being answered in the way that you want, in the time that you want, but know that truth that even faithful people suffer in a broken world. Look at verse 8 with me in verse 9 and following. It says, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. I, I'm, I'm old, and so some of you that are younger might not get this reference. But one of the shows I used to love watching on the, in the afternoon, so I guess I guess maybe I'm not that old because I guess it was a rerun because it came on like four in the afternoon. Was Sanford and Son? Anybody remember that? Anybody remember Sanford and Son? Funny show, funny show. I probably wouldn't make it in today's society, but funny show. And, I mean, Fred Sanford always was talking about, oh, this is the big one, Elizabeth. And, you know, he would have faked this heart attack to try to, you know, get out of a situation. And I can imagine, I mean, the fear, you know, Zechariah is like, I am done. He's like, I'm terrified. He wasn't joking. He's like, this is the big one, Elizabeth. Isn't that funny? That's, you know, his <laughs> wife's name too. This is the big one, Elizabeth. And here he's got this angel that appears. You know, he wasn't even performing the role of the high priest. He wasn't going into the holy of holies. He was just in the holy place, the place just outside. And so maybe he might have been a little bit comfortable. I don't know. But he sees an angel and he is terrified. He thinks, I am done. I am dead. And so he thinks it's all over with. He thinks his life is going to be taken from him. And so he's gripped by fear. And he, this angel appears near the altar of incense. I, I think it's kind of fitting. Because in Revelation chapter 8, verse 4, it says that the altar of incense is tied to the prayers of the church of the saints. And that's such a cool thing. This guy who had been praying for year after year after year for his uh, his wife to have a child. He's standing there. He's, he's keeping the altar of incense up, which is a symbol of the prayers of the people. And here he is. That's where the angel appears to him. This guy knew about prayer and he knew about frustration in his prayer. But here comes the answer. And another thing I think it's just important to point out, and I know you probably may have known this, but I want to make sure everybody knows it. A lot of times when we think of angels in our world, in our society, we think of fat little baby naked angels, right? That's what we think about, little cherubs and things like that. But in the scripture, anytime somebody saw an angel, they were terrified. It was a warrior like no other warrior you probably have ever seen in this life. And so let's make sure we kind of have the right mindset of what the being in the presence of an angel is like. And if we can get that right, then maybe we'll start to have a better attitude and mindset about what being in the presence of God is like. Because God created the angels and they are way less than him. And so you and I need to make sure we come into God's presence, which we live in all the time. We're always in God's presence. If you have the Holy Spirit in your life, you always are in his presence. Make sure you treat it with the correct respect and authority that we, we also we need so much. Like Steve talked about in his communion talk about making sure you get rid of even that little bit. No hint of immorality. But look at verse 13. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. I mean, first, that's mind-blowing. He, it's already said he's old. You old, Zechariah. I mean, that's basically what it is. It's just blunt. It's just out there. You're an old dude, and now he gets the answer to his prayer. Your wife's going to have a kid. That's probably another level of heart attack, you know? I mean, it's like, it's like I'm glad, but I'm terrified, you know? I, you know, my wife and I, we, you know, have quite a few children, and we had another child when I was uh, 40 years old, and that was terrifying. I mean, this guy is probably, he's maybe in his 80s, you know. And, uh, woo, I'm just saying, woo, that's, that's all I got to say. He's going to have a child at that time. My back hurts thinking about it, you know. So, anyway, so he's going to have this child. But here's the truth that I want you to get. God hears your prayers. You may feel like your prayers are hitting the ceiling, but keep praying because God hears your prayers just like it had taken year upon year upon year probably many nights of soaking the pillows with tears calling out to God saying Lord give us a child give us a child give us a child it took year upon year upon year but God hears your prayers he heard their prayers it may seem bleak it may seem hopeless and there's nothing more deafening than the silence of God isn't there when we don't hear what God's trying to say to us, when we don't see where God's leading us. But know this, remember, God hears, God cares, and God works. God is always working. He is always working. He's always listening. He's always caring. Look at verse 14 with me. He will be a joy, this child, and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of His birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or any other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. I mean, Zechariah's mind is being blown here. To turn their hearts of the parents to their children and to the disobedient, to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Ultimately, what he's saying and what he was going to begin to see is that this man, this child that was going to be born, is the forerunner of the Messiah, the chosen one, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so not only is his prayer being answered, he's having a child, he's having a child that God is going to use to do great things. And Zechariah and Elizabeth, you know, I don't, I don't know what their goals were like. I don't know what they were thinking as they prayed, but I bet they were like most parents. And probably the main things they were thinking about was, like, we just want a child to love. You know, maybe we want a, a little boy that, you know, Zechariah can play ball with and run around and tackle and chase in the yard and do all that sort of stuff. And when he gets a little older, we want to go to the synagogue and cheer him on and the spelling bee and you know, all this kind of good stuff. You know, this like these are the things they're thinking about. But maybe in their wildest dreams they were thinking, and just maybe he'll grow up to be a priest like his dad. And every now and then get a chance to serve in the temple and keep the incense fires burning. Maybe, just maybe, maybe, just maybe he'll be able to do this. But God. Maybe he'll we'll have a little boy to play with. But God. You see, because when God comes in the equation, I talked about that three-letter word, but, that's so powerful. Sometimes it can be so negative, but sometimes it's so amazingly wonderful. Because we think things are bad, but God steps into the scene. And here we see that as well. God's answer is better than your question. You know that? Maybe that's what all of us need to walk out of here with if we don't get anything else. Maybe, just maybe, I don't think maybe, I know. God's answer is better than your question. They might have just hoped for a little boy to hold and to laugh with and watch him grow up and make. he lives a good living. But God delivered a child to them in their old age when it didn't make any sense. A child that was going to be used in miraculous and mighty and powerful ways to change the world to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. You see, God's timing and his plan are perfect. They're perfect. You and I don't always have the right plan Faithful people like Zechariah and Elizabeth prayed for years and their answer didn't come the way or the time they expected. You know what? This flies in the face of health and wealth gospel that's so prominent nowadays. They tell you if you just believe enough that you'll have riches and wealth and fame and prestige and houses and jets and all kinds of stuff. But that doesn't fit the scripture at all. I don't know that you could find many better people than Zechariah and Elizabeth who loved God with all their hearts. And they prayed and prayed and prayed and yet their answer didn't come at the time and in the way they thought. They never would have thought they'd be having kids in their grandparent years. They probably never thought that their child would be the, the predecessor for the Messiah, the one to trumpet and call away and say, look, this is Jesus. Look at him. So they didn't even maybe think how big and how bold it was going to be, and they definitely didn't expect the time. And so what you and I need to remember is that God knows what we need. You see, God knows what we need, and we tend to focus on what we want. Am I right? We tend to focus on what we want. But one of the things my mom told me many times is, be careful your wants might hurt you. You know, a lot of times, you know, you think about, I want this, I want this, I want this. And then when you get it, you realize it's not that great. You know? Um, there were uh, there were young ladies that I thought, man, this is the girl I want to marry back in seventh grade. You know, I thought I had it all figured out. <laughs> you know? And now I'm like, whoo dodged a the bullet there. She's probably thinking the same thing, let's be honest. But... I found the one who, you know, I love, you know, and I get to spend my time with her, but I thought I knew what I wanted, right? And I thought I knew what I needed, but it was just what I wanted at the time. But God knows what you need. Your wants may hurt you. So I simply say this, trust God. Trust God, okay? Trust his timing, trust his knowledge, trust his wisdom. And it says here in, in, uh, in verse, excuse me, I lost my place. In verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Man, there's so much depth right in there. Okay, first you've got this faithful guy, along with his wife, who have been praying. They haven't gotten the answer they wanted. And finally, an angel appears, and what's the first thing he does? He doubts. He doubts. And I I, I know that, you know, that might be one of those, you know, bang your head against the wall things. But hopefully it gives you a little bit of hope, because chances are you're like Zechariah. I've been like Zechariah. When God is answering my prayer and he's in the process of doing it, I start to doubt and I start to wonder because it doesn't happen in the time and the way that I want. But here's the thing. God says, I'm going to show my power even more through you, even in your struggle, even in your unbelief. And God sends this angel to tell him. And he says, you're not going to be able to speak until it all comes to fruition. He doubts what God's promises. And he's mute for a while what if that happened today? What if every time you doubted, you would lose your ability to speak? <laughs> It'd be a lot quieter in this world, I'll tell you that. Maybe we should just pray that God will keep people from posting on Facebook when they doubt. That would be, make the world a better place. Like, you just can't even post on Facebook when you doubt stuff, because then the world would be a lot better place. Anyway, I'm, I digress. But anyway, but here's the thing. There'll be a lot less talking for sure. Well, here's what goes on. Verses 21 through 25, uh, and then you skip down a little bit later on to verses 57 through 66. They have the baby. The baby's about to come. He spends all this time uh, being mute, not being able to communicate other than making signs and writing down. And when it's time after the baby's born to circumcise this child on the eighth day, they, they often name the child on that day of the circumcision. What's interesting, if you go back and you read it and take the time to read all those verses, the crowd of people's trying to name their baby. I mean, come on now, you get in a fight nowadays if somebody tried to do that. Maybe it was a cultural thing, I don't know exactly. But they're trying to name the baby um, Zechariah after his father. And Elizabeth is like, no, his name is supposed to be John. And they're arguing with this woman about the name of her baby. I'd be holding that baby up. It's like, you see any resemblance between y'all and him? No, it's me and him, right? I would do that. I would I would not agree and so she says no his name is John and so they sign to Zechariah they make uh, symbols to Zechariah and he writes down his name is John and immediately his mouth opens up and he's able to speak again and so I tell you this trust the one who is able When you pray, you may be discouraged and you may wonder if God's ever going to answer it and you may wonder how he's going to answer it. But when he's answering it and just trust that he is able, it doesn't matter what your time frame is, it matters what his time frame is. These people, Zechariah and Elizabeth, had prayed seemingly forever. And when their answer was close, they doubted. And we look at James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, and it says this But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And in this context, it's specifically talking about praying for wisdom, but I believe that probably carries over to many things that we ask God for. When we ask God, we're asking the maker of the universe to act on our behalf. And if anybody can do it, if anybody knows how, if anybody's got the wisdom and the power to do it, it's Him. So trust that He can do it. And don't doubt. Don't be double-minded. Don't be unstable in all you do. So something that I pray regularly when I struggle, because I struggle with it. Something I pray struggle, uh, that I pray regularly when I struggle is like the man that we see in the Gospel of Mark that wanted Jesus to heal his demon-possessed son. He said, Lord, help my unbelief. He said, I do believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus sort of pushed back, he's like, do you believe that I can do this, that I can heal your son? You brought him to me, but now you're sort of wavering. He says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So I pray that many times, sometimes out loud. Lord, I want to believe you, I want to trust you, help my unbelief. And maybe that's something that you need to pray. So pray that over and over But I think there are three quick things that I believe that we can do to help change our mindset in this. The first one is this. Consider Scripture. Y'all thought I was going to get one Sunday without making making say, hey, let's read our Bibles. (laughs) That's the answer. That's the answer to 99.9% of our issues in our life, in our faith, is consider Scripture. Look at what God's Word says and see what you can learn from it. See how God has been faithful Read and read and read and you'll see God's faithfulness in the past and you'll see God's promise of faithfulness in the future. The second thing is this, surround yourself with faithful prayers. Surround yourself with faithful prayers. Find people who are going to elevate your level of faith and your ability to pray for kingdom-minded things that God can do. Surround yourself. If you see somebody that you respect, be humble enough to go up and say, look, Can you teach me how to pray? You may think that's silly, but God's kingdom is built on people that have a silly mindset, y'all. Foolishness of the world. The foolishness of the world. And, and, you know, we need to have that, that ability, that humility to say, teach me how to pray. I want to be able to pray like you because I see you faithfully pray. And I see God respond in amazing ways. Teach me how to pray. Surround yourself with faithful prayers. And, and here's a little, little, little sidelight commercial here, okay? I talk about being connected a lot to the church. If you want to have your prayer life grow, that means you've got to spend time with the church. And you've got to spend time praying honestly and earnestly and sincerely with other believers. Watch them pray. Pray with them and have them pray for you and over you that you could grow in your prayer life. And then the third thing is this. Pray about everything. Pray about everything. We talked about that recently over these past couple of weeks. Don't just pray about the big things. Pray about what you may think of as the small things because God cares about them all. Pray about the small things because that will help you see God's faithful answers in those small things and it will help you trust to trust that He's going to answer in the big things. You know? And here's the beauty of something else you'll learn, I believe. It's almost like it's a secret. (laughs) Many times the answer to the big things are found in the answers of the small things. Maybe the job you prayed for 10 years ago put you in a position to win somebody to Jesus in two years from now. And you prayed, God, help me be courageous and help me to share my faith. And maybe God planted that seed and answered the beginning prayer of that 12 years ago, 12 years before it happens. And and maybe just maybe somebody prayed for you and, and you got introduced to the person who led you to Christ. And it started all back with a simple prayer for an introduction of, God, help me to see somebody that needs like today help me to see somebody that needs the love of christ today so pray about everything when you see him work in the small things you'll trust him to work in the big things several years ago Indu law the wife of ajay law two powerful missionaries in india that have helped plant church after church after church and raised up evangelists and workers for the kingdom. They've seen people baptized by the hundreds of thousands in India. Several years ago, she was had some health concerns. She went to the doctor and they found breast cancer. They found a lump and they said, okay, come back in a couple of weeks and we'll start our plan of treatment and say, this is how we're going to handle this. This is what we're going to do. And so they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And they reached out to people all across, not just India, but all across the world, even here in the United States and everywhere else, and said, please pray for complete. Pray for complete and miraculous healing. She went back to the doctor a couple of weeks later. They went and they checked and they said, There is no lump. It wasn't just benign, there was no lump. And I'm here to tell you that I know that's not always the answer. And I know that you have probably stood at funerals of people you loved and you prayed for. And I know that we wish that was always the answer. But sometimes it is. And sometimes God does more in the tears than He even does in the healing. And sometimes God does more in the trials than He does in the victories. But we got to know that when we pray and we trust Him, that He will change the world. He will change it through us. And most importantly, He'll change it in us. And so I want to challenge you, like I'm challenging myself, to trust the underlying and the overlying message of what we're talking about today is that God hears you. He heard Zechariah and Elizabeth, and even though it took many, many years for them to see the, the fruit of that hearing, I want you to know that God hears you today. And He's heard you as you prayed for years. And He's working to answer the prayer in the way that you need it most. And maybe, just maybe, maybe He's working to answer the prayer to answer it in the way that your neighbor needs it most. Or your family member. Or your friend. Or your co-worker needs it. You see, one of the things that I've come to realize more and more is that the ultimate power of prayer is in the blood of Jesus. And that if you don't have the blood of Jesus covering your life, if you don't know Him as Lord and Savior, and the way the Scripture tells us that is that if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you are willing to turn away, repent from your, your life of sin, that doesn't mean get your life Perfect but you're willing to turn away from it and turn to him and confess him as Lord and King and say, you are the Lord of my life, then he'll meet you at baptism and he'll wash away your sin. He'll give you his Holy Spirit and he will give you a new life. And he gives you connection to the blood of Christ that helps you have that connection with God so that your prayers are always heard and he works in mighty ways through you and in you. And I cannot tell you enough that that has to be the purpose and the the main onset and onslaught of our prayers is making sure that other people know that Jesus is Lord and King. So the question is, what are you praying about? Who are you praying for? But know this, God hears you and he's working. So what do you say to him today? Let's stand, let's sing. If you've got something on your heart, I'll be right here back by by the table. I'd love to talk with you and pray with you.